Hi, welcome to another PSD cast from Power Systems Design. I'm your host, Alex Paulton. Today, I've got Freeman Ford. He's with uh, FASCO. They're a uh, U.S. commercial and residential solar thermal manufacturer. And, well, we're going to talk about the smart grid, and that incorporates literally everything. Isn't that right, Freeman? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. And, and it is right. You know, you start with the smart grid and begin to think about centralized power versus distributed power. It reminds me a lot of the computer industry back in the control huh. data days. Is that not a fair kind of comparison as we struggle to figure out, uh, you know, residential and commercial rooftops as opposed to centralized power? You know, that's actually a very apt comparison, Freeman, when you think about it. The uh, thin client days, now we actually, actually I call the cloud revenge of the thin client because the cloud is still a master-server relationship. It's just today each of the individual clients are fat clients. Each individual client is a system in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. And I think the the kind of parallel thing that that I see, and I'm a I'm a thermal guy, and we'll get to uh -huh. the crossover product in a minute. But but the, the, what's clearly happening is there's utility scale solar, solar electric going in all over the world at a at a cost that's getting asymptotic to grid parity. I mean, in some cases, mm -hmm. it's already there. So that that's uh, that's kind of done. Uh, most of it is done. Uh, there's some balance of system cost stuff left to do. On the other hand, the distributed side, which in the U.S. is, I think, about 80 percent, 70 to 80 percent, that's on our rooftops. And that's got a ways to go. And, of course, it's raining like crazy here in the entire state of California today. So we're depending on our three utilities and some local to provide all our power uh, even though my system is producing about 10% through the cloud. So we're, we're, we're working to find a balance uh, between distributed and sort of centralized power production. Right. Well, well then again, though, Freeman, isn't that the goal of the smart grid, really? Because, yes, uh, big data, yes, dynamics, yes, all of the other things, but one of the other primary benefits is it would allow us to mix and balance all of these fluctuating and dynamic sources to balance it all out to provide a viable grid. Exactly. So here in California, just to stay with our situation, we have very high cost power, about 40 cents per kilowatt hour at the residential level, which I won't go into why that a happened. Lot. It was a, a lot of mismanagement. <laughs> but we have hydro, we have geothermal, we have nuclear, and we have the most solar of any state in the country. So we're, we're a, a playground for the balance that you're talking about. We're, we're an experiment that's playing out real time. Well, and, but then that that brings up some of the ugly specters to American business regulation and standards. Yeah, it does. It it, it does. And, uh, you know, the current administration is 
is talking a lot and, and beginning to do some things to simplify those regulations. To wit, I believe we have about 4,000 utilities in the United States after deregulation, all of them going their own way, trying to, you know, compete in a, in a uh, after decades of essentially a monopoly. And that didn't, that was back in the mid-90s. So that, that didn't right. prepare them well for the challenges that they're facing today. But I think that's changing rapidly, and, and they're doing doing a pretty good job of uh, of compromise. Well, you know, and Freeman, that's, that's something that has uh, – I'm glad – and I do see it. I do see it, and I'm thankful that I'm seeing it because there's a engineering axiom hidden in here somewhere that every solid-state technology – solution developed to address an application space has always in every case come to dominate that application space yeah exactly and so let's let's drill in a little bit on the solar modules the the, the photovoltaic module so that might start with the inverter cuz we got to take that dc coming off the roof at efficiencies mm -hmm. that perhaps get towards 18%, which is pretty low. That means 80% is heat and going somewhere else. We'll talk about that in a minute. But mm -hmm. the inverter, of course, the central inverters are, are relatively efficient. When I put my hand on top of my 10 kW, actually it's about a 12 kW inverter at full power, I don't, I don't feel a lot of heat. So clearly they're pretty efficient. But then if you talk about... And it's about, getting better, actually. And, and getting better, but they're pretty good to start with. So I'd say they're, you know, I don't know, but something like 98 going to 99, and it's going to be hard to exceed 100%. So they're, they're pretty good. <laughs> but the, next, the next trend that's really fascinating is module-level uh, uh, response to shade because virtually all uh, distributed uh, solar installations have shade issues from trees, from chimneys, from vents, from what have you. And those yes. are now done uh, with either microinverters or DC conditioners. And then, you know, really down at the cell level, there are certain uh, solar uh, module manufacturers who are gaining some uh, conditioning at the cell level. So mm -hmm. this is really exciting stuff because this goes to being sure that each module is producing power at the maximum power point, which is critical. Right. Now, quick question. Is your organization's name an acronym, or is it short for something? Shamelessly named after Freeman A. Ford happens to be my name because when I started, <laughs> when I, I was flying in the Navy, and when I got out, we, we bought a house here in the Silicon Valley, big pool, big swimming pool, very cold. It was heated with a, a bunch of radiators that kind of made the pool all red from rust and so forth. So started solar back then, first and only solar thermal company, and we remain today the oldest and largest solar thermal company. But shamelessly, for lack of imagination, Alex, it has my name, Fafco's Freeman A. Ford Co. Which uh, well, you know, th th there's nothing wrong with that if, if you run the company. You know what I mean? It's, it's the... the you, Necessity is the mother of invention. You found a need, developed the product, and uh, they, stay, they, they call a lot of products after. If, we'd be calling television sets Farnsworths if uh, RCA hadn't been such a jerk. 
You're, you're, yes, I, I'm well aware of that. I've watched that and read about that, and you're absolutely right. Which, which sort of leads me to the uh, the interesting physics around collecting solar thermal energy as opposed to electric. And what it comes down to is photons making electrons go where they don't want to go is expensive and difficult and limited in efficiency. Uh, so what am I saying? I, you can achieve efficiencies in the 40s, but as a practical matter, all the distributed uh, DV systems, solar electric systems, struggle to get up towards 20. Our, mm -hmm. our thermal systems, and we have 200,000 solar pool heating systems, about 5 gigawatts of equivalent power, those... Um, they're thermal systems, but they're typically about 60%. I can even get 110% because the unglazed collectors, that is, they don't have glass on them, actually collect some energy from the air. So with thermal, mm. you know, way up there towards 60 or 70%, 80% efficiency, and electric at, at maybe 15 or 18, uh, what we said about about it 10 years ago with the help of a Navy contract was combining the two, which is what we call cool PV. So does that make does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, but, <clears throat> look, because the thing is that you're talking about the thermal aspects and collecting energy, and there are a lot of companies playing with a lot of variations around that. So when you start talking about cool PV, so I'm assuming that incorporates the thermal and the solar, does it also toss in any Peltier technology to harvest waste heat? Or is it, at this point, is it just straightforward uh, solar thermal? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't need to do Peltier, uh, which has you know terrific applications in certain cases. All we really just imagine that the the photovoltaic, the solar modules that we're all used to seeing on the roof. Imagine if behind it we imposed a polymer heat exchanger, which in our case is mm. hundreds of tiny little tubes through which we flow water to a load. So imagine, let's take the swimming pool because it just happens to be a simple example. All I do is I take the filter water and instead of sending it directly to the pool, I run it through the cool PV array and two things happen. PV modules are kept cool because electrons don't want to go where they don't want to go when they get hot. The loss of efficiency is linear and fairly substantial. So by keeping mm -hmm. them cool, that is keeping the PV modules cool, we get, I don't know, 5, 8, 10, sometimes 15% more Increased electrical output. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. all you need is a thermal load. And we have a, you know, the, the pool is nice. Water tank, pool, could be a hot water heater. It, it could be, but you, you said it exactly. There has to be storage of some sort. It just happens that the pool is ready all the time. It's, it's a, basically a big storage tank. But as an aside, uh, for your listeners and your readers, what's happening today is distributed solar is about to get a big dose of battery storage. And, and just think about it. Right now, if the sun were out, I'd be developing 10 kilowatts and only using three or four. If I charged half of my load, I use about, I'm, you know, this is terrible to, to, I got a bunch of electric cars and stuff, so I use about 50 kilowatt hours a day, big house, you know, yeah, I know, terrible, terrible, don't tell anybody. So I need about half of that, 25 kilowatt hours in storage, because if I have that, 
I'll just charge those batteries up. And this evening when my wife comes home, and again, don't tell anybody this, she turns on a radiant heater in her office, um, it'll all be supplied by battery. And, And when that begins to happen, I think the balance between centralized and distributed power may tilt a little bit more in favor of distributed power, if that makes sense. It, it does, Freeman. And I, I, I agree with you completely. I see um, distributed and – oh, actually, they're not going to call it central power anymore. They're going to just say those are large nodes within the distributed grid or some fancy vernacular. Um, but we're going to see more of it get distributed the farther we go along because uh, I like to look at cell phones as an analogy – America is literally lagging in cell phone development because the uh, landline system was so good we resisted development. When when it comes to energy development, you're going to find a lot of uh, microgrids as companies, industries, small municipalities, campuses uh, switch to greener, more distributed power, the, 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 net, the grid is going to have to incorporate those changes as they go. It's going to be a very interesting dynamic marketplace going forward. Absolutely. And I think that's happening right now. So, for example, I live in Atherton, but Palo Alto's right next door. They have a municipal, their own municipal power district with much lower cost power than PG&E. They, they're not paying 40 cents a kilowatt hour, essentially right next door. And that's a, an example of a forward-thinking municipality that has kind of uh, taken it into its own hands to serve its customers more efficiently than, uh, you know, a, a much larger utility. So I think that's an example of what you're talking about. Exactly, exactly. And that's going to happen more often and not less often, even in, and and the irony is, even in economically depressed areas, when an organization or a corporation or a manufacturer moves into that area to exploit the low costs, they're going to incorporate next generation energy management into whatever new facility they build there. Absolutely. And, you know, a piece of that is uh, you mentioned you're speaking to me from Germany. Germany is a, is a, a beacon of forward thinking as a country, more so than the U.S., for a couple of reasons. One, Germany's been very consistent in its energy policy over a long period of time, and we tend to jump around. We don't you know, today's president doesn't have the same energy policy as yesterday's or the day, you know, the one before. And that's anathema to, you know, significant investment. But the other unintended consequence is we have fairly significant subsidies, not in the U.S., not nearly as much as fossil fuels, but significant. But an unintended consequence is manufacturing dominance has gone to China because virtually all of the solar collectors on our U.S. roofs are made in China. So the unintended consequence of our subsidy is that we have and, and lack of a clear energy policy is we've we've basically subsidized the Chinese manufacturing competitors and therefore development. We per- yep, development exactly right. So we have a handful of U.S. Uh, solar manufacturers. I'm talking about electric, and uh, mm-hmm. but they're a small percentage of the world market, which is too bad. It is. It is. But let's go. Let's come back to uh, you, Freeman, and your organization. 
How does someone get involved? Let's say I, I've got a facility and I want to manage my uh, water and thermal. I've got either a cooling system or I've got uh, water tanks or I just want hot showers all the time. Where right. do I go? What's the website? Right. What's so my next step? It's really, thanks for asking, Alex, and it's really simple. So Cool PV is a a system that basically collects a lot of thermal energy and makes the electric output go up some. And the answer to your question is any application that uses lots of heated water in hot or at least warm climates with high energy costs are candidates. So think central boilers, think mm-hmm. laundries, think destination resorts that have showers and bath waters. They all have mm-hmm. central boilers. And here's the, here's the physics. All we do is take the water, because they use lots of water for textiles, for tanneries, for sugar production, for, for laundries, what have you. We just Paper take the water. Yeah, exactly. We just take the water on its way to the boiler, run it through the cool PV array. The PV modules are kept cool and work better. And all those BTUs uh, reduce the the amount of energy. Yep, they just reduce the amount of energy that the central boiler was using. So uh, the the physics there is, uh, you know, raising water from 60 degrees F to 70 is exactly the same as 160 to 170 F. It's just a lot less expensive to do at lower temperatures and, and much higher in efficiency. Does that make sense? It makes total sense, Freeman. I really, you know, um, so what's what's the URL? Where do they go to get more information? Yeah, uh, thanks. So it, it's just a matter of jumping online. Cool PV, Cool PV Solar, FAFCO, Fafco. My shamelessly, my name, that kind of thing. But I, you know, Cool <laughs> PV is fairly. The nice thing about Cool PV is it, it's. It is cool, metaphorically speaking. And uh, by the way, keeping the PV module cool, it does make them work quite a bit better. So we're we're real pleased with that. And we've been actively selling for a couple of years. There you go. Well, you know, Freeman, uh, one of the things my audience is uh, familiar with me saying is power management is thermal management and vice versa. So everything you can do to cool and get the heat out of any electronic system is nothing but net. Hadn't thought of that, but you're you're right. I mean, we've all struggled. I'm a ham radio guy and built a lot of stuff over the years, and you're right. If I think of the heat sinks and blowers and lengths that I've gone to to get rid of the heat, well, you can think of cool PV, and I guess that's that's what you're saying. You can think of your cool PV as doing something useful rather than blowing it off into the air. We're preheating right. water on its way to a central boiler and uh, saving a lot of energy, so that's that's really an apt example. Exactly. And so it's just cascading benefits across the board. That's really great, Freeman. I really yep. appreciate that. I'm glad you came on the show. But before I let you go, I always let my guests have the last word on my show. So it could be a little bit more about the product or the company or just a tip for our audience. But the floor is yours. Well, thanks, Alex. I don't know about any tips, but it's wonderful to talk to your audience who has such a deep knowledge in electronics. You know, I'm talking to you from the Silicon Valley, and we're proud of coming up on five decades of innovation at Fafco, but my goodness, uh, the product life cycles that your readers and listeners live with, you know, obsoleting yourselves every 18 to 20 months, it, it makes my head spin. So my hat is off to you, your readers, and uh, anybody that might be listening to this. Our product life cycles have to be a little bit longer. 
<laughs> not a problem. But then again, you've got a longer, it's, it's a more of a capital investment, long-term in, uh, investment for that kind of infrastructure as well. Exactly right. So, hey, Freeman, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, this is obviously a moving target, so we've got to bring you back on the show sometime soon, talk about it some more, okay? Alex, my pleasure. Uh, thanks. Have a good evening, and, uh, you know, grab a stein of beer. I shall. And I'd like to thank everybody out there in the audience for taking the time to be with us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Power Systems Design. Have a great day.